that makes it even more difficult to do the job that you're doing today. So if you're going to make a shift, why not shift onto something that, that doesn't just solve the problem today, it solves the bigger challenge. So I think COVID has accelerated some of the decision making around the tools that we we use day in, day out, just don't work in a remote environment. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast sponsored by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Stuart Carroll, president at Beck Technology. He has based his career to date on developing innovative technologies that break down disciplinary barriers and enable AEC users to do things that they have not done before. Welcome to the show, Stuart. Hey, Todd. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here today. Yeah, it's always uh, exciting to be able to talk to a fellow swimmer as well, too. Exactly. Uh, who wouldn't get excited about that? <laughs> That's right. it's a, we're our own special breed. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Somebody said to me the other day, you were a swimmer. I'm like, actually, we refer to it as a, a swammer. I used yeah. to swim. I'm now a swammer. There you go. <laughs> I like it. Have you been able to get into the pool much during? Yeah. Yeah, COVID? I have. I, I swam all the way through. Um, I swam at a, a local community pool um, over the summer. So I swam outdoors, no lane lines. And I'm now back in the, the pool uh, with lane lines and, and clocks and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually in pretty good shape and back in the pool. Nice. How Very about you? jealous. I have not been able to train. Uh, this is my, my first year, maybe in my life that I haven't been able to really train. And it's, I, I've become a runner this year, which is just painful to admit that. Yeah. But. <laughs> Those shins, I would imagine, are on fire when you run. Because I, right. I know every time I do it, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm... There's a reason why I'm in the water. Yeah, this uh, this sprinter is going crazy not being in it, but that's okay. Things are opening back up. Yeah, <laughs> so hopefully definitely. I'll be back in soon. <laughs> definitely. Well, the alternative of doing nothing is not an option. So that's right. That's right. Uh -huh. Well, let's uh, let's zero in on construction here. How'd you get into construction? Long story, short short answer. Um, I, I right out of college, I went to work for a company that developed uh, 3D technology, um, modeling the built environment. And um, so I guess I kind of stumbled into it. I had a computer science undergrad and, and grad degree, always been passionate about how simulation could impact the world and um, went to work for a startup um in the uk right after i returned after going to college here in the us um doing early days of building information modeling a product called reflex uh -huh. and um, after a couple of acquisitions um found my way down to to dallas and i've been running back tech for gosh 20 20 years it's scary i had more hair um and that the hair i did have wasn't gray so <laughs> it's been quite the journey nice uh anything that you wish you had known at the beginning of your career? You know, you know um, I talk about this all the time with uh, our younger employees. Um, I 100% I when I came into this industry and I learned about, um, you know, 2D and symbolic representations and how we, we sort of draw things in, in plan and elevation. And I, I, I sort of did the leap to 3D. It was such an obvious leap for me um, when I was in my early 20s that this is the way of the future. And in a couple of years, all that 2D stuff would be, be gone. Um, I think my realization was this, uh, this industry is ripe for change. And I'm sure we're gonna talk about that today. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are significant changes going on, but I think um, 
it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I, I, th I think the, the rewards are huge. Um, you know, I think collectively we're making the world a better place. Um, everybody's touched by the built environment, but I, I genuinely think it, it is a, um, a career commitment and it is, it's not about the day-to-day -day ups and downs. It's around moving the needle and it's that it's a marathon, not a sprint, I think is the, the one thing I probably learned along the way. Yeah. Why do you, why do you think that's really the case? Cause it seems like there's, you know, buy-in on the, the theory of everybody needs to go on the digital transformation and, you know, 3d BIM, all that stuff. People will nod their heads and go, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah it's I, so slow. It, it is so slow. I, th I think though, I mean, it's obviously a very, very complicated industry. Um, not, not just in terms of how we deliver things, but sort of the, the interworkings of, contracts and you know what we hand over between the disciplines and sort of the the low risk high or low high risk low reward i almost said it back to front i think people wish it was back to front but yeah um that'd be nice <laughs> I, I think there's a lot to it but i i also think um we we, ha we have tried and true methods that we know that work they might not be efficient they might you know not deliver um in the time frame when the exact dollar but I think as an industry, we, we've been doing things the same way for a, a long, long time. And I think when you, when you know that you can get it done a certain way and there isn't a lot of reward, um, financial reward um, for companies, you're, you're less likely to take risk. Um, and so I think that's, that's kind of been the, 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 the root cause of not being willing to change, the, mm -hmm. the risk of change probably outweighs the, the, the potential reward of change. I think that has changed in itself. And I think the reason we're seeing digital acceleration, I think the reason we're starting to see more collaborative forms of delivery, I think people are starting to see that the only way forward is different from the way that we've done it before. The, the old way is a slow death. Mm. Um, and I, I, I think finally there's enough things around us, obviously COVID um, has been a tremendous accelerator, but even pre-COVID, the aging workforce, um, you know, the the struggles with um, with attracting talent, that they're just the, the number of bodies we need to to support the demand. Um, I, I think there's a there's a lot of factors, a lot of trends that are leading towards what we're starting to see the last you know couple of years, where people are significantly changing the way that they they, they go to market contractually, um, a lot more collaborative. Uh, forms of delivery, whether that be CMAR or design build. Um, you know, I was reading a while back, you know, 50% of, of projects are now de delivered in, in either design build or, or CM at risk. And I think that number is accelerating. I think design bid build is dying. Mm -hmm. And I think in order to, to be more collaborative, you need to have different ways of communicating. Um, I think we're, we're backfilling with, um, you know, tribal knowledge by putting it into computer systems. I, I just think there's a lot to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting as you are, are talking, it makes me think of, um, you know, maybe the construction industry had gotten too comfortable with their processes and they didn't have to look internally because they were able to build the buildings. They were able to get it up. And as you know, you laid out the, some of the issues going on with aging workforce and uh, COVID happening and everything that, that comfortability got 
shook <laughs> over, yeah. over the last couple of years, especially. Uh, and so now well, in that uncomfortability they're looking around for, they have to change. Well, I, th- I think there's other facts. You, you, you go back to the last recession, 2009, and I think there's a lot more, you know, particularly in the world that I live, pre-construction and service, servicing, uh, you know, pre-construction departments. I think 2009, there was a major shift from, it wasn't just give me the cost. It was give me assurance that the cost is really accurate because it's it's becoming more and more difficult to get financing for some of these projects. Mm-hmm. I think you couple kind of that 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 to me at least in the world that I live in that was the initial impetus of change. Mm-hmm. I think you you roll in some of the things that we just talked about, and I just think it's a snowball effect. I think eventually um the, the the comfort goes away because you die like i said earlier it's, it's strong language but i i genuinely think if you become uncompetitive in a highly competitive market you become irrelevant and mm-hmm. I, I think in in design and construction you can't become <laughs> you can't become irrelevant and still stay in business yeah yeah so, so uh what are some trends that you're you're noticing around precon well i think i think in general, um, we have seen more and more companies um, looking for negotiated opportunities. You know, uh, I mentioned, you know, CM at risk and design build, but irrespective mm-hmm. of the delivery model, I think um, contractors have realized the way that we can give more certainty around schedule, um, cost, safety even, um, is to get involved earlier. And I think we're starting to see more and more companies getting involved earlier and earlier. So I think that is a big trend. Mm -hmm. I also think pre-construction departments have grown significantly. Um, Some of that is getting involved earlier. Some of that is, I think the, they just, they're taking on more and more types of services. It's not just, Hey, give me the number. It's actually helping with how do I, how do I make the project better? Um, How do I, you know, um, condense the schedule, give me proactive solutions to, to you know, work around an issue. Um, so I, I, I do think that pre-con departments are getting bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sounds crazy in the world of COVID, but, I, I, you know, I'll talk more about that in just a second. I think they're getting bigger. I think they get involved a lot earlier and the, the length of pre-con services is just bigger. Yeah. So I think in my world, that's the biggest thing I'm seeing. There are other trends that are impacting the ability to bring on the right people, like we talked about, the aging workforce, attracting talent. Um, it is historically a, a technology slow area. Um, you know, the, the, they're very introverted people generally in, in pre-construction. Um, and um, they, they're, they're, they're just hard to find. And um, so, you know, you kind of roll all that in together. Those are challenges with um, growing the departments and doing things. Um, old technology is, it just blows my mind how Excel we still see in, and I'll keep names out, uh, protect the, uh, the innocent, so to speak. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, multi-billion dollar contractors and the backbone of their business is still Excel. Right. And, um, it just, it, it is ripe for change. And we're, we're, we're lucky, lucky, fortunate that we're in a position to help pre-construction departments make those changes to take advantage of the current trends and current technology environment. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. 
with solutions for the modern project applied software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit ASTI.com. Yeah, I heard a quote recently of disrupt yourself before somebody else comes in and disrupts you. And I think that's kind of sums up with the Excel example. You know, there's so many companies that are built on Excel, Excel. but how sustainable is that over the long term? So it's much easier and much less uh, pain that's going to be inflicted on you if you're the one to say, hey, we need to change this and figure out this new process. Yeah, I, I, I tell you another thing in the world that we live in. So Excel is still the, the big animal. We're also in a world where there's a lot of incumbent technology that really hasn't significantly changed since it was released. Mm-hmm. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll keep the names out, protect the innocent. But, you know, there's, there's products out there that we see every day that are not Excel, but come from the 60s and 70s. And wow. the, the world has obviously changed a little bit since, <laughs> since the, the, the late 1970s. Um, so I, I, I do think um, it is scary when you look out and back to sort of where we started, they work. Unquestionably, the things that people have work. But do they work to the degree that you can still be in business in the future? That's, that's where I think the big aha has gone, which is we, we have to be more efficient. Mm-hmm. The, the window of time between deliverables, where it used to be a month or six weeks, it's now two weeks at best. I think it's going to go to a, a, a week. I think owners ultimately want real-time information. You know, the world that we live in, we're all on, all on our phones and we, we type in something and we get real-time feedback. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's the ideal scenario in, in our industry to really, um, you know, win the project is to have data at our fingertips. And you can't do that with a 1960s, 1970s or an Excel based um, workflow. Yeah. Everybody expects that instant gratification. Yeah. And as, it's the world that we, 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 we live in. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed, you know, obviously being originally from the UK, that how small the world has become too, as a result of all of that. It's like we hear about things in, you know, Europe or Asia or, or Australasia instantly. And yeah. I, I think that's the expectation and the mindset of the, the, the owners that we service in this industry is that, that, well, you guys have been doing this forever. You should know the answers and it should be at your fingertips. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, it's not. <laughs> so you, uh, you mentioned that Precon has really been growing even in, throughout 2020. Why do you think? Yeah. So um, I spent a lot of time, you know, COVID came on for us very, very quickly. And in the first couple of weeks that we were um, working remotely, um, I spent a lot of time talking both internally and with customers. I've obviously continued that throughout the summer and the fall. Um, I think with Precon, there's, there's two sides. When, when the company is in a, uh, a situation, they've won a lot of work. There are always um, needs for change orders and estimating goes along with that. Mm-hmm. So when they're busy, they're busy helping project teams execute. When um, things get tight 
and they're in a down economy, they're helping the company pursue new opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think they're, they're just busy all the time. And I think if you, in, you, know, you look into the crystal ball, you, you look at the ABI, the architectural billings index, the last six months, I think a lot of companies are starting to um, go get into pursuit mode, aggressively into pursuit mode. Mm-hmm. And I think in order to do that, you have to have a lean, mean, you know, fighting machine. And I, th- I think Precon um, is is that tip of the spear. So yeah. I, th- I think that's why we've, we're seeing it grow at the moment, despite projects being put on hold, despite things slowing down, despite, you know, gloomy economic outlook for 2021 and beyond. Um, we we see that our, the people that we service are actually either staying the same or growing. Um, and they are busier than they've ever been. They're um, executing the projects they've still got going, and then they're, they're helping you know, business development go win, win more work. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, so I, I've heard you talk about the pre-construction data lifecycle. What does that mean, and why is it useful for people to, to think about? Yeah, yeah. so I, I, I think, you know, t- take a step back from, from our, our acronym, um, PDL, pre-construction data life cycle. And you look at our industry, I think anyone that's been around it recognizes we create vast amounts of data. Mm-hmm. But I think if you've been around it, you recognize that we do nothing with the data. You know, we, we get to the end of the project and it goes in the virtual filing cabinet, never yeah. to see the light of day again. So um, I think a lot of companies are starting to recognize that in order to help owners the next go round, to expedite, to react um, in that that shorter window of time, to give more certainty around the information that you're giving, you first need to collect the data in a standardized way and provide it in a a platform that can be used um, the next go round. Mm -hmm. So for us, the pre-construction data lifecycle is this ability from the very inception of a project through the completion of the project to be able to capture all of the underlying data that goes into the milestones. If you look at our industry historically, we've sort of been a milestone driven industry. We get a set of estimates and schedules that sort of mirrors the design process and the concept we give you a concept estimate and the schematic design will give you a schematic design. We don't capture what went into it so take a simple example, we're a self-informed contractor. Um, we print out an estimate, you know, at a summary level and it's got, you know, master format divisions one through 33 mm-hmm. and it's got a number. We don't capture and track, well, what was the number of crew hours? What was the makeup of the crew? What was our assumed productivity rate? And then we never ever, for the best of my knowledge, at the end of the job, go back and look at, well, how do we really do? We look at the financial, the bottom line, how did we do? We made money, we lost money, but I don't think we go in and, and analyze and use the data to make better decisions the next go around. So mm. for us, pre-construction data lifecycle is capturing all of the data throughout pre-con and throughout the construction phase in a platform that enables us the next go around to use that data to make better, more informed decisions. Yeah, interesting. So wh- why do you think the struggle is there to really take advantage of that data and have that kind of introspective self-reflection after the project is completed. Yeah, I think I think there's um, I think there's three drivers behind it. Uh-huh. Um, I think the first historically we have picked 
best in breed products that um, create data that is captured within the tool. Mm-hmm. We don't capture the data in a way that um, we can do anything with it. It's proprietary. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, um, you know, the cloud and cloud computing and the, the, the movement um, to, to sort of an open data architecture, um, I think has happened. I just think our industry has been slow to get there. And obviously there's plenty of vendors on the construction project management side um, that, are, that are in that space that are starting to leverage big data, Autodesks and Procores and others. Um, but I think historically pre-construction has, the area that I focus on has been, we use Excel, we use some kind of takeoff tool we use something for conceptual estimating, which is really an Excel file um, that was different from the detailed Excel file that we used for estimating. Um, we'll use something if, if we're going to do 3D, we'll use another tool for 3D. And all the time we're creating these activities, it's never been collected. So that's, that's the first challenge. And I think mm-hmm. you know, us and others have, have made a technology platform aimed at trying to collect the data in that pre-construction phase. Mm-hmm. and then work with the downstream vendors so that we, we capture all of that data. Um, but that, that's, that's the, 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 f- the first challenge is just the platforms, the tools that, that, that people use. Mm-hmm. I think the second challenge has been, we, we, we talked a little bit about this earlier about like the financial risk reward. There's not a lot of money being made net profit um, in this industry. Um, you know, when I talk to large GCs and you're, you're, sort of gross profits, maybe three to 5% and your net profits one to 2% at mm-hmm. best. That's not a lot of um, room for error. And it, I think when you apply it to pre-con, they're an overhead expense. So that's not, that's not being reimbursed. That's coming right out of that bottom line, you know, gross profit number. So I think the, the ability to invest in a business to do things differently is, is definitely a factor. Mm-hmm. I think the, um, the, the third factor um, is, has historically been sort of what we talked about earlier. Um, owners, and I'm gonna kind of talk out two sides of my mouth maybe, owners haven't really demanded things. They have asked for things quicker. They have put pressure. But as we spoke about earlier, um, I, I, I think what we were doing until maybe 18 months ago, two years ago, was okay we could still get by Mm -hmm. um so i think the third factor is owner pressure and i think owner pressure has really accelerated a lot of what we are seeing with looking at data um they want things in in like like you know click of a click of a finger Mm -hmm. and i think the only way you do that is to have data and i think companies making the justification that the only way we survive going forward is to invest in pre-construction and pre-construction data lifecycle. Yeah. So do you think that that owner pressure kind of is the, the key to really get the industry moving forward in the right direction or is there something else? Well, I, you know, this is another weird one. I, I definitely think it's a big factor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also think COVID has accelerated some of this, this change. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we're, you, we're, I'm sure I'm actually in the office. I don't know if you're in the office or at home, but a lot, obviously the vast majority of my company still work in remote. Yeah. Well, um, that makes it even more difficult to do the job that you're doing today. So if you're going to make a shift, why not shift onto something that that doesn't just solve the problem today? It solves the bigger challenge. 
So I think COVID has accelerated some of the decision-making around the tools that we we use day in, day out, just don't work in a remote environment and getting right. them out of the office into the cloud where people can actually start to use um, use the tools, collect the data. I think that's another big factor. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think owners at the end of the day are the ones that are going to drive this, whether it be, you know, hey, mandated, I don't think that's reality, but I do think they're demands. We want more certainty on cost and schedule. We want more information earlier. We want information quicker. Um, I think the only way you do that is you capture data, you learn from the data, you, you know, your, your past experiences, you build knowledge. Um, and I, I think that's the only way you, you're able to stay on top of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, and to your COVID point, kind of goes back to our disruption conversation that if you're already being disrupted, you might as well you know, adopt something, a new workflow too, that's going to make it better in the long term. Agreed. Because you're already disrupted. So take advantage well, of it. A, it. It's funny, you know, we talked about aging workforce too. That's a, that's another one. I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, you know, um, hey, COVID happened. We have one employee that had been with us 40 years that decided, you know, I'm, I'm just going to use this as an opportunity to retire. Mm-hmm. Well, again, if you don't have a system that enables you to capture that knowledge, that that individual, that, that sort of individual knowledge, tribal knowledge, they leave it walks out the door with that employee. So mm-hmm. I, I, do, I do think the aging workforce is another big factor that um, you know, has driven people to, to say, we need to capture knowledge. Mm-hmm. And when we bring on a 20 something um, you know, to replace, they don't start from, from nothing. It doesn't take them 20 years to get the knowledge before they can, they can have a value in helping our owners make better, more informed decisions. Yeah, so, absolutely. There's so many factors wound up into this. Yeah. Yeah. It's complicated. It's not, it's not a easy, uh, single thread. It's a, a tapestry. No. <laughs> it is a tapestry. That's a great, that's a great mental image. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Evolve MEP. MEP construction software for Revit. Evolve's MEP software for Revit makes project collaboration fast, simple, and more productive which in turn significantly reduces project risk and cost. Born from the reality of a lack of available skilled labor in the industry, Evolve MEP has transformed the MEP detailer workflow. It's time for MEP to harness the Revit platform to offer seamless collaboration like no other software before it. Visit evolvemep.com and let them know we sent you. Uh, so a lot of this, I, I think, is is about really getting people to embrace an innovative and, and growth mindset. How do you think is the, the best way to get that buy-in for people to embrace that innovation? Yeah. Um, so we, we, we sort of um, take a, a go slow to go fast approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when, when we introduce ourselves to to companies, it's definitely the expectation is this isn't going to be an overnight change. Um, even the decision to, to buy needs to be well thought out. It needs to be planned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a big part of change management is is building confidence and trust that, that the switch doesn't set them back. They're already busy people. They can't take one step forward, five steps back. They need to take one step forward and then another step forward and another step forward. So a big part of what we, we try to do is, is build a plan that um, documents going from, you know, 
the platform you're on today over to um, this, this new methodology, this new approach. And then we do it in phases. Mm-hmm. So if, if you think about what, what we have is an integrated pre-construction platform. So this conceptual estimating, detail estimating, 2D takeoff, 3D takeoff, cost history, there's lots of different elements to it. Mm-hmm. And instead of like, hey, day one after you've purchased the platform, you're going all in. That doesn't work. That just builds distrust. So what we, what we tend to do is before the, the purchase, before the switch, we will work with the company to build a phased approach. Step one is typically replace the legacy estimating tool, get rid of Excel. Um, let's, let's, let's do that piece first, get comfortable with that. Um, once we've done that, then we will layer on another piece, typically 2D. Once we've done that, we'll layer on another piece, typically 3D. Once we've done that, we'll layer on another piece. So it's very much a, a layered approach to change management. Mm-hmm. Um, and along the way, don't leave anybody behind. I mean, I think, I think that's the other part. Different people go at different speeds. When you look at, you know, my kids um, who are no longer young anymore, but they, they grew up with, you know, from day one, they had an iPad or an iPhone or they're just very facile with technology. You, you look at the older people, meaning probably in that category now, where we're slower and there's nothing wrong with that. So I, th- I think what we've also recognized is it needs to be flexible. Yes, going into it, we may feel like this phase is six months long, but when you get into it, it might take a little bit longer to get everybody to kind of move along, everybody to get comfortable, everybody to trust it. Mm-hmm. So, for, so for us, it's, um, it's phased, it's planned, um, it's, it's very much you know, building trust throughout the, the switch. Um, so that's, that's sort of how we've handled that. Yeah, interesting. I think you know, being intentional about anything is going to be a, a recipe for success. If you, if you really sit down on the front side of things, think it through, and then obviously you have to be adaptable because plans are going to change. Yeah. <laughs> but if, if you think it out in advance, then when those changes come, you're better able to adjust because you're not, that's the thing that you're thinking about in the moment. You're not having to think about everything else and all the ramifications. You, you've already thought through a lot of that. Well, it, it, it's, it's funny, obviously, we, you know, we're a tech company. Um, and, you know, when, when I look at what we're really doing, it's, it's, not, it's not implementing technology. It's helping our customers implement change. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the big things that, that we have done from the very beginning is recognize that it requires a partnership. It requires on our side, oftentimes going above and beyond what's in the contract but you've got to keep the big picture in mind. And the big picture is if we can help this customer go from A to B, then we're going to be with them for a long, 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 long time, hopefully the rest of my career and beyond. So this is investing in them making the change because we Mm -hmm. believe that the other side, there are just so many more advantages for them that if we can help them get to the other side and all of their employees are the other side, it's a win-win situation. Yeah. For sure. That's a great mindset. Uh, you, you know, thinking about um, changing, you know, the culture and uh, how people are doing things. I think one of the barriers to change is the silos between all the, the different disciplines. So how do you think is, is hey, do you agree? But uh, beat, how, how do you pull down those barriers um, and get people to communicate better? Yeah. I mean, it's, that's another complicated uh 
uh, topic as well. But I, I, I do think, um, I think as an industry, we're starting to recognize that we deliver a better product uh-huh. if we collaborate. The, the days of, you know, lobbing it over the fence at, at every kind of silo, I, I think have gone, generally speaking. Don't get me wrong, there's, there's still projects where, you know, the architect, engineer, contractor, subcontractor, a, a button head. So I don't want to paint the picture that, that, that that's not the case. But I think people generally recognize that you end up with a better product um, delivered in more predictable budget and schedule if we collaborate. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think we're over the hump mindset wise of um, like, that's the benefit. I do think technology has helped accelerate some of that. I mean, again, you're kind of going back to COVID. I never ever thought that my day week after week after week would consist of Zoom meetings. I thought going <laughs> and having face-to-face meetings was that's the norm. But um, COVID has, has taught all of us that not only can you survive with, with Zoom, but it's actually better um, in many, many, many ways. I don't have to spend four hours on a plane and a night in a hotel and, you know, away from my family and, and things like that. So I think yeah. technology plays a big role in enabling people to collaborate. I also think um, when you work through a problem, um, rather than receiving a problem, you work through a problem with somebody. I think the first time you do that, you, you personally recognize this is just easier. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have to interpret what's in somebody's mind. I can, I can have a conversation and I can, I can ask you what's in your mind. So I, th- I think you go through it once, you're more receptive to it the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth. So um, that's what we, we see is, is it's, it's sort of like learning to ride a bike. You, 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 you kind of got to start with, you know, what do they call them on the back? The stabilizer wheels. Yeah. And then your mom and dad will take one off and you kind of lean. And then finally you're, you're, you're off. I, I, I think the way you pull down those barriers is, is very, very similar. You, you start with um, a project that you collaborate, architect and contractor you get face to face with somebody, you realize that, you know, the, the, the guy or girl, the other side isn't all bad. Their intentions are, are equally good. They just mm-hmm. value different things. You have a conversation, get to know them. You work through a problem, you solve a problem. The next time you're more receptive to doing it. And I think it just gets faster and faster and faster. Yeah. That, uh, talking, I, I think is so undervalued <laughs> for it's, it's so simple if you think about it, like just have a conversation with somebody, Yeah. <laughs> but yet people that's one of the least go-to options that people choose, which is, is funny. So, uh-huh. some, somebody said to me uh, a couple, couple months ago. So, you know, why won't the architect give me what I want? I was like, did you ask him for, for a specific list? Well, no. Yeah. I'm like, well, you know, how, how do they know what to give you if you don't tell them? Right. So I, I do, I, I go back to exactly what you're saying. Like, I, th- I think a lot, the, the, the solution, a lot of our industry's challenges is getting the right people face to face and having an honest conversation at the right time. Right. Like ha- having a, having a conversation around what, what we should have done is valuable for the next go through, but it doesn't, it doesn't help for the project you're on. But I do think if you have a conversation along the way and regular conversation and it's healthy, it's, it's, you may disagree. That doesn't mean, every, you know, Shangri-La and everybody's, you know, skipping and that kind of thing. But I think if it's healthy dialogue and we keep the, the end goal in mind, we are trying to work together. 
to make this project as good as it possibly can be. I think that that simple, just have a conversation, ask, ask um, lots of questions and, and state really clearly what you what you need to do your job. I think it solves 99% of the, the industry challenges. Yeah. But it's that stating clearly your, what you're trying to get out of it and where you're coming from and then being open to the other person's thing and being like, all right, well, we're coming at it from different vantage points. I don't have to, you know, necessarily agree with where they're coming from, no. or, but that's where they're coming from. So that's good knowledge. And this is where I'm coming from. That's good knowledge. And this is, we can, you need both sides. <laughs> you do. To make the project and work. Saying, and and it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to always be that both sides agree. I think what it is though, is at some point, somebody has to make a decision and everybody needs to get behind that decision, whatever it is. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, 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 obviously, you know, just like every other business, I'm sure we have a leadership team and it's, it's healthy debate. It's healthy um, to disagree. Different people come up with problems from different sides. And I, I do think um, it is important to hear the other, the other side's perspective. At the end of the day, somebody's going to make a decision and everybody on that team needs to get behind the decision. Even yeah. if when you're going through it, you disagree with it. You, you need to get you need to get beyond and you don't need to come back around and go well i told you so because that doesn't solve anybody's problems right yeah absolutely so how do you think construction is going to change over the next you know two three years well i definitely think this this trend on more collaborative design build is going to continue um obviously prefab is is here um to stay i don't i don't see it going away componentized elements of the, the building. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously have a huge shortage um, with, with manpower um, in the field. So I think it's, it's reasonable to make the, the leap that we're gonna see a lot more automation, ro- robotics. Um, I think in the world that, that I'm in, I think technology um, is going to leverage that data that we talked about earlier that's being collected and um, proactively making suggestions to um, stakeholders. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I always make this sort of analogy when I go to Amazon and um, my wife will kill me for saying this um, on your podcast, but you know, it, it, it makes suggestions. It makes suggestions based on my wife's buying history. So mine's yeah. handbags and shoes and things that, you know, my wife has bought in our, in our account. Um, well, it does that based off of your buying history and collecting data. So I, I see much more of this suggestive analytics um, as, as being a thing of the future. Um, you know, suggesting a unit price for a line item based on similar projects that you have done. You don't have to take it, but suggestions. Mm-hmm. I see, hey, we've studied these other options, pricing options, you know, post-tension versus cast in place versus structural steel on other projects. Would you like to know the price if we use that, that construction method? Mm-hmm. I see much more um, around AI um, impacting our daily lives in construction. And I think it will come across just the same way as it does with Amazon, where it's not, it's not, you know, voodoo. It's, it's pretty easy to see what it's doing. It's using my behavior on past projects to make suggestions on things that I don't have to go and figure out. It figures it out for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really excited about the opportunities. I know like it's, it can sound doom and gloom with aging workforce and attracting talent. 
I've always been the glasses more than half full. I think this, this industry is special. Mm-hmm. Everybody on the face of the planet touches real estate. You live in a house, you work in a building. Um, it's the fabric of our society. And I, I look at where we've been and it hasn't really taken advantage of all the other things that we've seen in the world around us the last 20 years. And I just, I imagine what it, what it could be. And I get super excited about finding creative ways of putting more beds in a hospital, saving more lives, uh, building schools with more natural daylight so that kids are more retentive of information than, than they're taught. And doing all of that in a predictive fashion with budget and schedule and safety and all the other things that are important to you know, delivering real estate. And mm. to me, it's, it's a wonderful industry to be in with wonderful opportunities. I, I've got two kids and uh, I've got one that I'm trying to uh, encourage to, to get into real estate. And I, I, I think it's, I think it's the best industry on the planet. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. The construction is it's definitely ripe with possibilities over the next couple of years, which is really exciting. Definitely. Well, how do people get a hold of you and, and find out more about Beck Tech? Yeah, so the, um, I, I can give you my email. My email is Stuart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T, Carol, C-A-R-R-O-L-L, at beck-technology.com. Um, you can go to our website. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. Feel free, reach out, um, connect with me. I'd love to talk to people. Awesome. Well, last question I ask my guests, what does innovation mean to you? I think innovation to me is a mindset um, of being willing to change, to challenge, challenge the status quo and um, be willing to change anything and everything. I try and live that day in, day out. Um, we're talking about swimming. That's how we started this. Um, I wasn't expecting to swim in a pool that was three and a half feet deep, but I found a way. And I think you just, you, you constantly challenge the status quo and where there's barriers, you find solutions and you keep moving the ball forward. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> well, Stuart, thanks so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed the conversation. Likewise, Todd. It was great to catch up. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everybody. Now it's time for my top three takeaways from this week's episode. First thought, progress is a marathon, not a sprint. The biggest hindrance to growth is getting too comfortable with where you are. Truth is the only way forward is to always be adapting and growing. Take the principles of what led to success and apply it towards the new processes needed in our ever-changing AEC environment. Second, the construction industry is generating vast amounts of data, but strangely, we aren't taking advantage of that data. They say data is king, but if we aren't leveraging the data, isn't it more like an anchor of our own making? If that is the case, why are we okay with that? We need to analyze the data we have to make better, more informed decisions for our next project. It is time we not only capture the data, but learn from it and past experiences to build a more complete knowledge base going forward. Finally, disrupt yourself before someone else disrupts you. It is far less painful that way. The industry is ripe for change. Ask yourself, Does your tech stack and tools set you up for long-term future growth? Staying in the status quo all too often leads to detracting, not growing. And a bonus take, don't be afraid to have an honest conversation. If you don't ask, you can't complain someone didn't give you what you wanted. 
The collaboration that is commonly talked about in AEC can't happen without actual conversations between stakeholders. Thank you for listening. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at ASTI.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. Until next time, I'm Todd Wyant. Thank you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is directed by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2020.